Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be found in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all sin and burden that binds us. In the name of Jesus Christ, may on this place be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fear, phobias, depression, covetousness, destruction, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented in your divine arms and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 45 through 48 so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The name of this sermon, Called to Perfection. And this is our commandment, our promised commandment, it's not an offer, nor an alternative. And it was not a mockery of Christ, but this is the promised commandment that is written in the book of Matthew, and it is presented to us in the series of sermons of Apostle Arkady, and it is inheritance of saints of all time. And this commandment is addressed by Christ to his disciples. And therefore, those who do not acknowledge over themselves the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment and will likely never have any relation to it. We together have stopped to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a person that is expressed in the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or the selective love of God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Based on this passage, the rule of the peace of God, or the righteousness of God, in our hearts, is possible only under one condition if we are clothed in the selective love of God and if the selective love of God will dwell in our hearts. The character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly virtues and they are all written in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2-8. through 8. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. We have heard that each individual virtue of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all other virtues because they flow from one another, 
fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. These virtues are the moral perfections and standards that are inherent to the essence of God, and they are given to us through Christ, which we must become enriched with. And we can enter into the inheritance of these virtues only by accepting the Holy Spirit as Lord and ruler of our life in the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. By inheriting these great and precious promises, we are made partakers of God's essence. And so, the seven definitions, seven characteristics of God, which are offered to us so that we can come to God, as Pastor has said. In churches in which we were found, and preachers call this the ladder of Peter, the steps along to, to according to which we can come into heaven to God. But how is the path to God defined? It is defined only by the following, that before He allows us to come to the goal, He will first make us in the likeness of this goal. Therefore, if a person thinks he can, with his with his unruly character, can come, if we, from a young age, we begin to conserve envy, hatred, bitterness, ignorance, when we come to an older age, we are going to open these cans, and from these from these cans, we're going to feed our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. Virtue, the first quality, we must define the source of all good, and this is God. And God has hidden Himself where? In His church, in His chosen remnant. And when we find the chosen remnant, the virtuous wife about whom is written that her price is higher than rubies, and he who has found a good wife has found a good thing from the Lord. This is a church that is presented to us as a narrow gate, about which is written that many will seek to find and enter through the narrow gates with their own baggage, but they won't be able to. This is what Christ was asked, and he was asked, we listen to you, and we grow scared because based on your sermons, a few will be saved. Tell us, will truly a few be saved? He said, many will seek to find through the narrow gates. They will seek through their own ways and they won't be able to find these narrow gates and they will perish. When we enter through these narrow gates, we will meet with the wonderful quality, knowledge. This is where God will show us that He, through His preached word, what He calls good and what He calls evil. Then the third quality will approach us. This is self-control. Self-control that will allow us all that God calls good to select and to reject and evade all that God calls evil. Patience. The next virtue, we will need patience so that all that which God calls good to look upon it and to wait for the fulfillment of what we have seen. Godliness, the next quality, will allow us to keep through our sanctification of that dedication that we have. Scripture says, watch that no one may take your crown. This means that a person somewhere had violated contact with godliness he had grown bitter with godliness godliness had loved him when godliness had loved him the crown was taken by the enemy 
because godliness is through sanctification to hold on to our dedication. All of this will lead us into the atmosphere of brotherly love, which brings us from death to life. And when we go from death to life, we enter into God's throne, love of God, agape. And so the selective love of God expressed in seven unearthly virtues and characteristics has nothing in common with human love that is filled with ignorance, selfishness, and inconsistency. And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the unconditional selective love of God differs in that it carries the all-consuming zeal of God, His omnipotence, and His absolute wisdom that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. It is the fruit of the selective love of God contained in the format of seven virtues that is called to reign the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our bodies in the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man, and preceding this to destroy the old man in our body. And before us were presented four classic questions, four classic questions, let us read them. First, what does Scripture say about the origin and essence of brotherly love, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith? We are continuing to study the sixth substance, which is brotherly love. Uh, Second, what purpose is the love of God agape that flows from brotherly love called to fulfill and the demonstration of it in our faith? Third, what conditions are necessary to fulfill to receive the power to demonstrate brotherly love in our faith? These three questions we have already studied, and today we will begin to study the fourth question. The fourth question has to do with brotherly love. That sounds like the folly. By what signs should we test ourselves for the demonstration of brotherly love in our faith? And let us again move on to the first sign through which we can define if we truly have brotherly love in our faith. And so the first sign that we are demonstrating the power of brotherly love in our faith should be according to our ability to judge the cause of the poor and needy in court on the basis of the law of righteousness. And so who can demonstrate brotherly love? Only that person that can deal with the case or the cause of the poor and needy in court. Jeremiah turned to a king with these words Jeremiah chapter 22 verses 15 through 17 shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness then it was well with him he judged the cause of the poor and needy then it was well was not this knowing me says the Lord Yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness, for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. These are words spoken by the Lord. He says, my dear king, you think that you had enclosed yourself in cedar and you are a king? Your father was also in these walls, and he also ate as a king and drank as a king. But what differs you from him was that he dealt with the cause of the poor and needy in court. And so scripture says that the Son of God, through the washing of our sins with his blood, made us kings and priests in Christ Jesus. 
so that we could represent the reign and priesthood of God and Father both in our body and in those spheres for which we carry a responsibility before God. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to God, his God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever, to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood and has made us, has made us kings and priests through the collaboration with each holy person. He was able to make us kings and priests to His God and Father. He made this along with us, along with us through our collaboration. We should also note that we receive this dignity of a king and priest in the format of a deposit, or rather, in a state in which our thinking, our king, is not yet renewed by the spirit of our mind. And remaining in this state, our state as kings and priests over our body will not yet be affirmed. And we see that Saul had to affirm his kingdom, uh, David had to affirm his kingdom before the Lord. Why? In order to represent the interests of God. Therefore, when our sins are forgiven, when we are born again, when our sins are forgiven and the Lord has made us kings and priests, and this kingship and priesthood, He gives us in the format of a seed, a deposit. And what we must do is we must affirm it. If we don't affirm our kingship, then we will lose it just as Saul had lost it. To conduct justice and righteousness as a king in the limits of our essence and strictly in the limits of the law of righteousness, it is necessary to place into circulation our deposit of justification accepted by us in the format of a seed in order to grow it in the good soil of our heart in the format of the fruit of righteousness so that we can receive it as a belonging and so that we can become righteous, not just according to our origin, but also according to our state and the expression of this state. So that we can be holy, not based on our birth from the Holy God, but so that our state and the expression of the state, our thoughts, our words, and our actions can coincide to that holiness that we have. From the text we have read, it follows that the dignity of a king is somehow tied to the house of a king built out of cedar, which he trusts in and which serves for him as an argument that he knows God and represents the justice and righteousness of God, or rather, the argument that he has renewed thinking. However, on the scales of divine justice, this argument and this evidence on which the Judean king relied on, which we had read about, uh, ended up being false. According to scripture, cedar is a symbol of righteousness that exalts a person into the dignity of a king in which we see the renewed mind of man. So our soul, the substance of our mind, had to go through death to become renewed and then to enclose itself with cedar. Psalms 92, verse 12, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. So take a look here. Here, under this palm tree, under this cedar tree, here we see righteousness. And it turns out that when He has planted us as kings and priests, He planted it along with cedar trees. And when the cedar tree grows in me, when this palm tree grows, along with this quality, with this righteousness, grows my King. From these words it follows 
That to be clothed in cedar means to view ourselves as righteous. However, based on our text, it follows that to consider ourselves righteous, but at the same time to turn our eyes and our heart to our self-interest and to the shedding of innocent blood in order to do oppression and violence means to be deeply mistaken. Today, we have a great many pseudo-charismatic ministries in which, by distorting the truth, people are clothed in cedar so that they can pursue interests expressed in material success, which is achieved through the shedding of innocent blood and violence. And first of all, to the shedding of blood and violence in relation to our inner man, representing in our nature the priesthood of God. So we violate through this foolish king, we violate our inner man. And this happens when a person accepts justification outside the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord without changing his old thinking, which serves his self-interest in the subject of fame and material enrichment. Again, this happens when a person accepts justification outside the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord. You will say, how? How does this occur outside of the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord? This is when people are told that you have received justification. Justification is righteousness. God has done everything for you. You need to do nothing. You receive everything in in a concluded format and this is a violation of the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord people must be told that you have received justification in the format of a deposit and this deposit is going to be lost if in the death of the Lord Jesus in baptisms you will not be immersed in death and you must out of death receive this life in the format of resurrection that death or that life that has not gone through death and has not become res resurrection will will uh, will perish because resurrection is always life. And here Pastor showed very interestingly that people are uh, preached cedar, righteousness, but they are not told that life, life is not always resurrection, but resurrection is always life. So we receive it in the deposit, and through the death of the Lord Jesus, we then gain it as a belonging. What does it mean to receive it as a belonging? It means to see these qualities, to see this fruit, to see this character within ourselves. And thus, in his inner man, he suppresses the desire for possession of imperishable wealth, which is achieved through a renewed mind, in fellowship with his new man, created according to God in Christ Jesus in the righteousness and holiness of truth, which determines the order of God. Based on our original text, in order to have a true confirmation of our love for the law of God, you can eat and drink, but at the same time, it is necessary in the, in the production of justice and righteousness to deal with the case of the poor and the needy. To eat and drink means to use earthly goods and accept them as part of a blessing, under the condition that there is justice and righteousness when judging the case, the cause of the poor and needy. The Lord is not against us using earthly goods, but to use them as a blessing under one condition. If we will conduct correct judgment in relation to the poor and needy that is within us, that is within the church. When a person in the dignity of a king from the position of his uncircumcised thinking does not produce judgment and righteousness when considering the case of the poor and needy, the use of earthly goods yielded by the phrase eat and drink turns into idolatry for which a person will end up in hell. 
Just like in the parable of Christ about the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man ate and drank every day, but at the same time did not examine in the court the case of the poor and needy Lazarus, who lay at his gate, desiring to be fed with crumbs falling from the rich man's table, and the dogs came and licked his sores. With regard to this, we need to provide a definition to the poor and needy, whose case we are called to protect in court, so that we can receive or have evidence of our love for the law of God, with which we are called to demonstrate in our faith in the power of brotherly love. In Scripture, there are plenty of definitions in which the poverty and neediness of the Spirit reborn of God is a dignity that turns upon itself the mercy of God through the renewed mind of a person, protecting the case of the poor and needy in court through His intercession before God. So take a look here. Again, once again, a very full text under the poor and needy is meant the poverty and neediness of the spirit born of God and he must be protected only by he can be protected by the renewed mind of man our spirit cannot protect Saul our thinking our mind that has not gone through the death of the Lord Jesus our poor and needy our innermost person our spirit can be protected by our renewed mind, only by the renewed mind of a person through his intercession before God. An unrenewed mind will not intercede for our poor and needy, meaning our inner man. When through renewed thinking we protect the case of the poor and needy in court in the face of our new man from our old man, by way of, through the cross of the Lord Jesus, died to our nation house of our Father, and our carnal life, behind which stands the organized powers of darkness. Wonderful. Take a look here at how our renewed mind protects in judgment, protects in the court our new man. From whom? Protects from whom? From the old man, under the condition. He makes a decision. Our king makes a decision. What is our king? It is the renewed thinking. He makes a decision in the death of the Lord Jesus to die to his nation, to the house of his father, and to his own desires. These desires must occur through the renewed thinking. Saul, or rather the sphere of our soul, our mind that is not renewed by the spirit of our mind, will never, never go towards this. We need to protect our poor and needy, our spirit from the old man. How? by protecting in the death of the Lord Jesus, which only our renewed mind is capable. Renewed mind means one must hear so many truths. We've been hearing truths for decades, and many saints, they stumble upon these truths. Why do I need to die to my nation? Why do I need to die to the house of my father? You know who my father is? My father was a spiritual person. No. This is what you think. This is what I think about my father. But others are saying that he was not a... He was not this kind of a person. And this means that our king is incapable of protecting our spirit, and our spirit is suffering against us when we agree from the position of our new thinking to protect in the death of the Lord Jesus our spirit against us will be thrown the special forces of the underworld in the face of people who are carnal, lawless, and wicked, clothed in cedar. They are found where? In the church. 
And then we should defend the cause of the poor and the needy in the face of our new man with other formats of courts which are contained in the law of righteousness. So we protected them where? By immersing them in the death of the Lord Jesus, by separating with our soul. And now, when this began to occur, now all of a sudden, on the stage, there are other wicked, lawless people who are clothed in cedar, who are found in the church. And we need to defend defend ourselves, our spirit. And so defending our justification and righteousness in the face of the poor and needy before carnal, lawless, and wicked people on the basis of the legislation of God, we, on one hand, will show evidence of our love for the love of God. But on the other hand, in conducting this justice, will serve for these people as a stumbling block and snare, as retribution to them from the Lord. Take a look at how David had done this, how he had protected his poor and needy, his spirit, from his soul. And then when the wicked and lawless people arose who were clothed in cedar, how he began to protect through the proclamations of the words of God, Psalms chapter 109, verses 1 to 31. I will read selectively. Let my accusers be clothed with shame, and let them cover themselves with their own disgrace as with a mantle. I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yes, I will praise Him among the multitude, for He shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save Him from those who condemn Him. It's enough to take these words, and the Lord will turn these words into the judgment of God, some people say, I'm afraid to say the word, let it be, let, let them be clothed. I say, well, how are you afraid? This is, they say, this is a crime. I don't understand. It's a crime to say, it's a crime to not say it. No. Friends, it's a crime to not use the name of God, Yahweh, in prayer. We must continually use, let them be clothed, let the Lord bless, let them be anointed, let him, be, let him fill. How can I do this? I'm not a pastor, people say. I understand, but this are Father Shepherd, the sheep, David wrote, these words, or Pastor wrote, if I speak outside of this format and outside of the spirit of the scripture, then it will be dangerous. But when I open this Psalm uh, 109 verses 1 through 31, there are such proclamations here, such proclamations of judgment, so that we, over the lawless, God could could overcome, overcome the wicked and lawless. This is how David had turned to God with these kinds of prayers. We open the word of God and we begin to pray because we are found under the shadow of God and we begin to, along with him, not just say amen, of course, we can say amen, but David, someone now must read it because David is not alive. So we read these words and my proclamation is my intercession and my amen. When pastor proclaims some kind of promise, I, of course, say, Amen. Let it be to me, Lord, according to your word, according to the word of your anointed one. But take a look at what kind of blessings that we use here. Therefore, we need to use them. When we open the word of God, when we proclaim it, we are found under the shadow of the Lord. We proclaim not our words, not our prayers, but we unite ourselves with the prayers of those saints that God has placed to shepherd over his flock. 
And so summing up this component, it follows that the result by which we are called to test ourselves for the presence of love for the law of righteousness in which we receive the opportunity to show the power of brotherly love in our faith is called to be in our royal dignity, which expresses itself in the fulfillment of the court of the righteousness in the case of the poor and the needy. So this was the first sign. For myself, what did I highlight? That I am incapable of having brotherly love with one another if we are unable to judge the cause of the poor and needy in court. This poor and needy, as Pastor Arkady had presented here, he is our innermost person, our spirit. If I am incapable of protecting my spirit, I am incapable of revealing the power of brotherly love to you. I will show... uh, as if I'm demonstrating brotherly love, but this will be a forgery. If I don't love myself, how can I love you? Scripture says, Apostle James, the brother of the Lord, Jesus Christ, says, are you fulfilling the law of God according to Scripture? Love your brother just as you love yourselves. You do well in doing so. This, with these words, he turns to our mind, our kings. If you fulfill, if you're fulfilling the law, you're a king. And this law is contained in the fact that you must love your brother just as you love yourself. I can't love you if I don't correctly love my innermost man, my new man, and to protect him in judgment. And how to protect him in judgment? Then, of course, we must first separate him our soul uh, is immersed in the death of the Lord Jesus and we through our renewed thinking die to all things at this time hell rises up against us and we in judgment overthrow hell with our proclamations this is all done in renewed thinking without renewed thinking we can't protect our innermost person it can be done only through renewed thinking this means what that brotherly love cannot be revealed in the full measure if i do not have renewed thinking the substance of the soul it must be renewed by the spirit of our mind this was the first sign a very important one for us to bless ourselves just as job had done job had said i know I know my Redeemer lives, and He, and His end day from the ashes, will restore. I, in my flesh, will see the Lord. Not the eyes of another, but my eyes will see the redemption of the Lord. So take a look here. He be- he stood at the protection, and He begins to protect our body. We became to protect not just our innermost man, our spirit, but also in protection of our body, in protection of our soul. When we say, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you unsettled within me? Trust in the Lord, for I shall praise my Savior, my God. What do we do? We protect our soul. But if we are incapable of protecting our innermost man, our spirit, our spirit can't protect our soul nor our body. The second sign, according to which we can judge that we are demonstrating the power of brotherly love, which is evidence that the love of God has poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and is given to us, is the lack of the organ of stumbling in our heart. Not just stumbling, we're going to talk about stumbling, but the organ of stumbling. The organ of stumbling, and this occurs when we are born on this planet. We are born with this, with this organ of stumbling. 
And we should note that love toward God, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith, is comprised of our voluntary obedience to the Word of God in all of its formats and in all of its and in all of its formats. Psalms. 119 verses 165 through 168. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Lord, I hope for your salvation, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your revelations, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your revelations, for all my ways are before you. Responsibility in the covenant of peace with which a person has tied himself, in which he must abide, in which he pledged to keep from damage by the interpretations of his carnal mind, is that he must love God in his living word, which he delegated to his messengers, whom he made to be his lips. And such a love of man for the love for the law of God is called to reveal itself in the collaboration of his faith with the faith of God, in his desired and unwavering obedience to the law of God in the lips of his messengers. Thanks to the presence of the great peace emanating from our love to the greatness of the law of God, we will have no reason to stumble both on the revelations of truth and on the carriers of these revelations in order to be saved from falling into destruction. Through the presence of love toward the law of God, toward the word of God, we will never have a reason to stumble, neither on the revelations of truth nor on the carriers of these revelations. And therefore, stumbling, which reveals itself in a person, is evidence that this person does not love God in the words of his law, which establishes peaceful relations with God, with each other, and with the whole earth. And so the Hebrew word for stumbling is, let's listen carefully, this is resentment, temptation, defeat, the barrier between man and God, a rejection of your good conscience, shipwreck in faith, a fatal ulcer, the devil's trap, the devil's snare, and the devil's net. All of this is a stumbling. And a very interesting definition, Pastor had presented them in a certain sequence. Uh, take a look at the organ of stumbling. Resentment, resentment, bitterness. How familiar it is for us. Resentment, bitterness. I was greeted by it when I was born. It found me in cries, not when I wanted it to find me. And this organ of stumbling began to express itself to control for my mother to hold me when I want to, for her to feed me when I want her to. And this organ of stumbling allows itself to be discovered. Stumbling leads to resentment, which leads to temptation. We then are then tempted by the Word of God, by the anointed of the Lord. And that's then the stumbling begins from what? From resentment, then temptation. It leads to defeat. Then it leads to having a barrier between us and God. Then we reject our good conscience, after which there is shipwreck in faith, after which I have a fatal ulcer, after which I fall into the devil's trap, his snare and his net, his eternal snare, his snare and net. This, the sequence of the word stumbling. The organ of stumbling is resentment. 
Based on the statements of Scripture, in most cases, a person stumbles on the Word of God and on the character of God for the reason that he does not know God and did not know God in His Word. For the simple reason that, in fact, his goddess has rational capabilities on which he relies on as his deity, through which he tries to interpret Scripture and distinguish between good and evil. Proverbs 28:26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Delivered from what? From stumbling. From this it follows that a person who relies on his rational capabilities to interpret Scripture cannot love the law of God and cannot have the peace of God in his heart, because of which he will stumble, both on his neighbor and on the person who is in charge of the congregation. According to revelations of Scripture, the initiator of the stumbling allowed by God in the heart of a person is God. In order to give person retribution for his lack of love for the law of God and for the word of God. Again, those stumblings that were allowed by God in the heart of a person behind them stands God himself. I remember when the father of Rome said, I need to take a look at the prayer, Our Father in Heaven, because it does not coincide with the spirit of Scripture and the words with which Christ said, My Father, do not lead me into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He said, On what foundation does the Son of God turn to the Father that the Father can lead him into temptation? And he, by the revelation of the so-called Holy Spirit, he says we need to completely blot out this prayer because God cannot lead into temptation. Well, God can lead into temptation. We lead ourselves into temptation and the devil leads us into temptation. Scripture says that Christ, when he was in the wilderness, then after tempta- temptation from the devil, he had overcome him. And the devil uh, left him for some time. Scripture says that we might tempt ourselves, not just devil, but we might tempt ourselves when we surround ourselves with a desire to become rich people who are surrounded with the desire to become rich they fall into temptation we are temptation for ourselves in the stumbling block and of course this can also be done by God and such retribution in a stumbling block will be for a person an obstacle a temptation a noose and a net on the way to the realization of the salvation given to him by God Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 through 15. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. For the Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Stumbling on the path to the law of God is the result of a lack of love for the law of God. While the absence of stumbling on the path to the law of God is the result of love for the law of God, which reveals itself in the desired fulfillment of the law of God. Because love for the law of God is not emotional and is not a dependence on our feelings. 
It is a discipline of the renewed mind and will of man that are made dependent on his wise heart in which abide two great witnesses that stand before the God of all the earth in the dignity of Thermim and Urim. Take a look here. What kind of definition is it's not an emotional it's a dis- it's discipline discipline which we must learn and that we must dwell in and that is found in the renewed thinking of a person John chapter 14 verses 15 through 17 if you love me keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. To keep the commandments that yield the law of God and are the legislation of God means definitions. Let us read them. What does it mean to observe the commandments? the law of the Lord means to desire with your heart the knowledge of the commandments to satisfy the longing and thirst of the heart with the commandments to obey the commandments to keep the commandments in your heart to abide in the commandments ponder upon the commandments look upon the commandments do not go beyond the commandments do not damage the commandments stay awake on guard of the commandments not bring idols into the confines of the commandments, to get rid of the impurities of the flesh through the commandments, and to treasure the commandments as an imperishable treasure. Here are the wonderful definitions of what it means to observe the commandments that are found in the law of the Lord. And so the sign by which one should judge that we lack a stumbling block is by our entry into our portion which consists in keeping the law of God. Psalms 119 verse 57 You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. This is that sign which will allow us to be kept from falling, from stumbling. Not from falling, from stumbling, because... A righteous one will fall seven times but will get up. But those who stumble, especially when God lays a stumbling block, they fall once and they don't get up. Why? You have resentment within you. On the church, on pastor, on the word. Resentment. And when there is resentment, this is a perfect soil for Satan. This is an organ of stumbling that he has. Resentment. Resentment towards God, towards the promises, towards the word, towards another person who is standing as head in the church, toward the truth that he speaks, we grow resentment, and this is an organ of stumbling. So we need to enter into their biblical portion in order to keep ourselves uh, from stumbling, to go into our portion, and these portions, these boundaries, we must observe the commandments when we enter into these commandments which means to observe we are freed from stumbling and so let us take a look at four of the next steps that are necessary for us to make in order to keep ourselves in this portion of God where there is no stumbling and so the first sign the first sign where we can stumble on our brothers, sisters, the anointed ones of the Lord, the words of the Lord. 
And so the first step for this possession of legal authority, which gives us the right to observe the law of God in order to clothe in the redemption of God in the face of our new man, created according to God in Christ Jesus, is the power of the will passed on to the heir. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 through 17, For there, where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For testament is enforced after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. The power of the will, stipulated by the testator and transmitted to the heir, is presented in the prototype of circumcision of the foreskin, in which the truth was hidden about the circumcision of the heart, making a person a partaker of the body of Christ. So, the Lord has given us His promise. He has made a covenant with us, and this covenant was expressed in circumcision. In circumcision, which this is talking about, God meant circumcision of our heart. And a circumcised heart is the first step to make a contract with God, to make a covenant, and He says that I will give you all just one condition. Please, circumcise your heart. What, what, what do we circumcise? There is resentment there. If I cut off everything from my heart, nothing will be left. Well, this is wonderful. This is the first quality that is in the center of my heart, resentment. He says, take a knife and cut this off. Lord, I will die. Well, wonderful. This is necessary to do. Genesis chapter 17, verses 7 through 14. Now will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. This is talking about a circumcised heart. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. My covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child, so uncircumcised in heart, who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, or rather his heart, that person shall be cut off from his people, for he has broken my covenant. Or he will stumble on the truth of the word of God and will forever lose his salvation. And so the goal pursued by God in this covenant is to give Abraham and his descendants as an inheritance the whole land of Canaan our body, as a type of all the promises of God, yielded by an imperishable inheritance for the bride of the Lamb. By itself, a given covenant is an agreement between two parties, in which each party was responsible for fulfilling its role. The violation of this covenant by one of the parties discredited the covenant and it lost its force. The role of Abraham and his descendants in this covenant was to circumcise for the Lord the foreskin, under which there was an image expressed in necessity of circumcision of the heart. To find this resentment and to cut it off, to circumcise it. The role of God in this covenant was that if Abraham and his descendants circumcised their heart, God takes responsibility to introduce Abraham and his descendants into the inheritance of the land of Canaan, which meant the imperishable inheritance prepared by God for the people chosen by him. The selection of the people was called to be expressed in the circumcision of the heart, which gave them the right and power to enter or to put on the imperishable inheritance of Christ and God. It should be noted that in this situation, circumcision of the foreskin was not the covenant itself, 
but a sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant, which consists in circumcision of the foreskin, is in fact not a covenant, but a sign and an identification of the covenant itself, which will be circumcision of the heart. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 16 through 20. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. And so take a look here. Here, it says, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Resentment. Oh, this is where we've arrived to. The organ of stumbling. And everyone has one. Both males and females. Both children and elderly. Again, therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart, brothers and sisters and be stiff-necked no longer. From the existing provision of the law, it should be borne in mind that if the priests approaching God will hope for the sign of the covenant expressed only in the circumcision of the foreskin, but at the same time they will not circumcise their hearts to enter into a true covenant with God, their hearts will remain stiff by virtue of which they, when approaching God, will be rejected by God and destroyed by God. Because an uncircumcised heart is evidence that a person's heart remains stiff. Stiffness of the heart is evidence that a person opposes the law of God and does not love the law of God, and therefore cannot possess the great peace of God, which is a property of God in the atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven. Due to this, a category that is circumcised with its heart will become a stumbling block for the category with an uncircumcised heart on the way to the realization of the great peace of God, which is the Lord's Sabbath, which is called to calm and comfort the chosen ones of God. So this was the first condition we were talking about. What we need to do in order to reveal or demonstrate this important essence of brotherly love or this important point. We must not stumble. This organ of stumbling has to be circumcised. This is the first step. And how do we do this? We need to enter into our inheritance. The inheritance will be our portion to keep the commitments alone. So the first step we need to make the first step, this is the Lord said, I require one thing of you, one thing of you. This is to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. The second step, after which we have made the first step, the second step for possession of legal authority, which gives us the right to observe the law of God in order to clothe in the redemption of God in the face of our new man created according to God in Christ Jesus, is our age, which coincides with the full measure of the stature of Christ. Take a look here. Uh, Coming to the fullness of age is to keep ourselves from stumbling. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Therefore, God has established time during which a person must leave infancy in a carnal state because a carnal person is not always an infant and an infant is always a carnal person. If a carnal person is an infant, this person will stumble and will be resentful on very small things. 
someone looked at me incorrectly, someone greeted me incorrectly. He didn't give me his hand. What does this mean? Well, did you have a purse? Yes, your purse was heavy. You don't need to be offended by these things. Maturity is the ability through communication with saints to grow oneself, to build oneself in love to the body of Christ in the face of the bride of the Lamb, to make oneself a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. And such an ability is acquired through the abandonment of infancy. So it's very important. In order to not stumble, it is necessary to leave our carnal state or to leave infancy. It's a very important component. If we don't make this step, we will stumble on everything and on everyone. And this will lead us to perdition. And so this was the second step, the third step. The third step in order to enter into our portion, that means to observe the commandments of the Lord. Let us continue on further. The third step for the possession of legal authority, which gives us the right to observe the law of God in order to clothe in the, be clothed in the redemption of God in the face of our new man created according to God in Christ Jesus is the acceptance of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life. Of course this is necessary to do so that the Holy Spirit can be Lord and ruler. If he is going to be Lord and ruler, he won't be a stumbling block. Of course, okay, all right, if I'm a stumbling block for me, I might push myself to stumble push myself into the pit. But when the Lord does this, this is very dangerous. Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Who is a son? The one who is no longer a slave, but a son. A slave doesn't cry out, Abba, Father. He doesn't understand what this is. Why shall I cry? He says, why are you worried? No. The slave has not yet become a son. He has not yet left this state of slavery. We must become sons. And this defines our sonship. This is that which we say, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. It's a endearing way to Abba is an endearing way to say Father of course the Holy Spirit can give revelation in the heart of a person only under one condition when a person has tied himself to the Holy Spirit on the terms of the covenant made with God in order to be led by the Holy Spirit within the boundaries of this covenant another place of scripture for as many as are led by the Spirit of God these are the sons of God for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out Abba Father Abba means Father, Papa. These are the words of Christ. The Spirit himself bears a witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So take a look here. Here it tells us and shows us that we must be Sons of God, how do we define? This is when the Holy Spirit is the Lord and ruler of our life. How do we define if the Holy Spirit is Lord and ruler of our life? We need to hear the words within ourselves, the cry. These words, not just words, a cry, Abba, Father. This cry was heard by the Heavenly Father only when Christ came into Gethsemane. And when this whole picture was presented, what was laying out before him, he began to shake and tremble, and his sweat was like drops of blood. And here he cried out, Abba, Father. 
If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. And in heaven, this phrase was written, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, was uh, was written and was given to Apostle Paul that prays along to the saints, that saints define their sonship or affirm their sonship with God when they have inside these words are cried out. And the Spirit, along with the Holy Spirit, Abba, Father, Papa, Father, when we come into the Garden of Gethsemane in order to fulfill the perfect will of the Heavenly Father. And this is important. And so we will make the fourth step to enter into our inheritance. For what? So that having been found in the boundaries of this inheritance, we can be freed from stumbling. The fourth step for the possession of legal authority, which gives the right to observe the law of God in order to clothe the redemption of God in the face of a new man created according to God in Christ Jesus, is casting out of the inheritance the slave and her son. Galatians chapter 4, verses 28 through 31. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brother, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. The image of the slave in the man of God, representing in the man of God, this is in each of us, representing his concubine, is the image of his soul that is not lost in the death of the Lord Jesus. In the image of the son of a slave girl is the image of the fruit found in collaboration with the strength and capabilities of the soul not lost in the death of the Lord Jesus. So this quality we must have. We must cast out from our limits the bondwoman and her son so that there could not be stumbling. And when did this happen? When Isaac was taken from the breast and Ishmael began to laugh at him. And then Sarah began to protect Isaac and said, cast out, cast out the bondwoman and her son. He cannot inherit along with my son. And then Abraham grew sad, but the Lord said to him, listen to the words of Sarah, your wife. And he cast her out into the wilderness, the bottom woman, her son. And scripture says that he heard the prayer of Abraham and blessed is Ishmael. And he became, he became a good armor and to release the darts against the remnant of God. So who is Ishmael? The sphere of the soul that has not gone through death that uses Egypt. She took an Egyptian. Our thinking, our thoughts, our intellect, sometimes a very high intellect with great capabilities. And as she is given up to marry Ishmael, who became an armor, an archer, and these people are, are met in the church when they use intellect to understand the Word of God, to try to show you your sin, our, our lack of dignity, blemishes. 
This is Ishmael doing this through them. Scripture says, cast him out. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. These are done by doctors of theologians. These are done by doctors of theologians that today have tried to replace pastors. These are Ishmael's that fire with these darts. With these darts they kill not the enemy, but the inheritance of God. This was an interesting second sign in which we concluded concluded that in order to demonstrate brotherly love among us, we need to not stumble, to learn to not stumble. An organ of stumbling within us has to be cut. And these four steps lead us into the inheritance of that land which the Lord has said within these boundaries. You will never stumble if you are found in them. If you leave or go outside the inheritance, you will perish. Third sign according to which we can test ourselves for the subject of demonstrating the love of God, discovering itself in brotherly love, is according to the collaboration of our mind, renewed by the spirit of our mind, with the superior wisdom of God. So our renewed thinking must cooperate with the superior wisdom of God. Proverbs 8, verses 12 through 17. I, superior wisdom, dwell with prudence. I, wisdom, dwell with the mind and search for reasonable knowledge. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. The superior wisdom of God in the format of the fear of the Lord, contained in our good heart, in the truth of the reigning teaching of Christ, and in the face of the Holy Spirit revealing truth in the heart, can dwell with the mind only under one condition. When our mind, by the power of the resurrection of Christ, is renewed by the spirit of our mind, which makes it capable of reasoning over truth contained in the heart and verifying this truth with the truth of the Word of God. And for this goal, it is necessary for us to have in our heart the definition of the superior wisdom of God so that we can distinguish it from wisdom that is earthly, carnal, and demonic. As written, James 3, 13-18 who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic, for where envy and self-seeking exist, Confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The phrase, who is wise and understanding among you, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom, tells us that not all refrain is the expression of wise meekness. Sometimes a person refrains not because he is wise, but because he does not know what he should say or do in the circumstances or in the current situation. In this place of scripture is presented the fruit of the Spirit grown from the collaboration of our renewed thinking with wisdom that comes to our heart from above. And based on the character of this fruit, we should define the character of wisdom from above which by nature is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. 
Therefore, based on the concluding phrase, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, it follows that the ability for our renewed thinking to collaborate with the wisdom that comes from above is possible only upon fulfilling three conditions, giving us the ability to keep faithfulness in a covenant of peace made with God. And so, three conditions very quickly. First, if we have cleansed our conscience of dead works. Second, if we have carried it to its depths, the conditions of a covenant of peace made with God in water baptism, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and baptism in fire. And third, if we keep faithfulness to the covenant of peace made with God. Fulfillment of these three conditions gives the soul of our heart the ability to accept the seed of righteousness as well as grow this seed into the fruit of righteousness and showing in our faith love for God which discovers itself in the power of brotherly love. When our conscience through the collaboration of our renewed thinking with wisdom from above is cleansed from dead works and in its steps is established a covenant of peace with God our renewed mind receives the ability to be clothed in the powers of a wise king who is to cleanse our body from the wicked thoughts and desires of the flesh in order to prepare it for the clothing of Christ's resurrection in the face of our new man. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 26. A wise king sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. The threshing wheel, the car wheel, we're learning about how to have wisdom about how our thinking, our renewed thinking, can cooperate with the wisdom of God. If He is going to cooperate with our thinking, with this wisdom, with the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit who unveils this Word, that it is transformed into this threshing wheel, this cartwheel. And this threshing wheel will be turned against the wicked that first abide in our body in the face of the new man and therefore the enemy is very afraid of the cooperation of our renewed thinking with the wisdom of God he is afraid of this why? because I in my lips now have a threshing wheel, a cartwheel you know how David destroyed? very, very scary with with hammers he destroyed them with he threw them in furnaces. David wanted to show us how we must do with act towards dead works, dead works that are found in our flesh. But in order to do this, it's necessary to be wise as King David. It's necessary for this King of David, for us, for him to be within us and for him to cooperate with the wisdom of God. And so, when studying our mind, renewed with the spirit of our mind and the dignity of a wise king, it is worth noting there exists a rather large stratum of people among the people of God who have rational capabilities that are not renewed by the spirit of their mind and are defined by scripture as a foolish king. Saul was this kind of king who, unlike King David, refused to renew his thinking with the spirit of our mind so that God could receive the basis to establish him as king. Scripture states that from a foolish king representing our mind not renewed by the spirit of our mind, our earth in the dignity of our body is perturbed and cannot bear it up. Let us take a look at this image, this illustration. When our earth begins to be perturbed, and that it what it wants to, what it cannot bear up. This is in every person. Proverbs thirty verses twenty one through twenty three. 
For three things the earth is perturbed, yes, for four it cannot bear up. For a servant when he is made a king, a fool when he is filled with bread, a shameful woman when she is married, and a maidservant who succeeds her mistress. Let us take a look at these four interesting images. And so first, for three things the earth is perturbed, yes, for four it cannot bear up. What does it want to, what it cannot bear up? A servant when he is made a king. We know that Israel rejected the authority of Samuel over themselves as king, representing for them the authority of God. Due to this, God gave them King Saul in his anger and then took him away in his wrath because the earth could not bear up or carry this king. Saul's mind was a slave to sin and was found in complete dependence on the old man living in his body when God through Samuel anointed him as king over Israel. As it is written in Hosea chapter 13 verses 9 through 11, O Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. I will be your king, where is any other, that he may save you in all your cities. And your judges to whom you said, Give me a king and princes. I gave you a king in my anger, and took him away in my wrath. To demonstrate the power of brotherly love in our faith, relations between God and man born of God must be made dependent on demonstrating our love for God. And in this case, love for God that we are called to show in our faith in the power of brotherly love is comprised of the fact that a person rejects his foolish king in the subject of his fleshly mind in order to accept a wise king in the face of his innermost man in the dignity of the mind of Christ, which gives God the basis to pour out on this person his selective love agape, and for a person it gives him the ability to demonstrate the power of brotherly love in his faith. Second, for three things the earth is perturbed, yes, for four it cannot bear up. A fool when he is filled with bread. A servant who is filled with bread is the mind of a fleshly person who depends on money and uses the principles of faith to improve his material state, whereas principles of faith are given to us to have authority over money behind which stands the demonic king mammon. And if authority of money over us is the root of all evil or the mark of the beast on our foreheads, then authority over money is the root of all good or the seal of God on our poor foreheads. When we demonstrate our love for God and that we honor Him with tithes and offerings, we reject the authority of money over ourselves so that we could rule over money. And demonstrating this kind of love for God, God receives the basis to pour out on us His love agape, the power of which we are called to demonstrate in brotherly love. Third, the earth is perturbed and cannot bear up a shameful woman when she is married. This occurs when the innermost man enters into union with the rational capabilities of the soul not having a sign of circumcision in which she keeps a union with the old man. When we demonstrate our love for God in that Christ Jesus, we, with the law, die to the law, 
In order to live for the one who died for us and rose, God received the basis to pour out on his, his love agape, as a result of which we will receive the power to demonstrate the power of brotherly love in our faith. Therefore, our body wants to carry, or rather, what is a shameful woman who goes into marriage? Brother Akadia showed us that this soul has not gone through the death of the Lord Jesus because my soul has not gone through the death of the Lord Jesus. She is found in lawful relations with the old man. And she tries to have a relationship with our new man and our new man if begins to use him in service, service to God and search for the face of God in communication with God. Scripture says that our body cannot handle this. As King Jehoshaphat had done in Scripture, he made a friendly agreement with another king. And he he wanted to take the ships and to take the gold of Ophir into other places. He says, you don't have a right to make a contract with that which is an enemy to God. And Jehoshaphat took a lesson from this. And when the king of Israel then came to me, shall we send these ships with, with these slaves? He says, no, I will not. I will not send my servants with your servants. There cannot be any kind of, of, of communication we were incorrectly placing this gold, the righteousness, in our essence. Fourth, the earth is protruded and cannot bear up a maid servant who succeeds her mistress. This occurs when we allow the emotional feelings of our soul, which are called to be our servant, to rule over our rational capabilities and give appraisal of our relationship with God based on what we feel, and not on the informational sphere founded on understanding knowledge gained through instruction in faith. Therefore, to demonstrate our love for God in the power of brotherly love is possible when we make ourselves completely dependent on a renewed mind leading our emotional horse by the bridle. As a result of observing this divine order, God receives the basis to pour out on us His agape love, giving us the ability to demonstrate the power of brotherly love in our faith. Thus, under the image of people whose servants succeed her mistress, Scripture is referring to the category of people born of the seed of the word of truth who did not acknowledge Jesus as king over themselves in the face of His messengers. In their songs, these people proclaim that Jesus is their king, but upon verification, it turns out that their king is either a foolish king or a servant that is filled with bread, a shameful woman, or a maidservant that has succeeded her mistress. Theoretically, we know that in our essence, there are spheres that, according to their nature, are slaves and servants of the new man and must remain so. Let me, once again, I want to affirm this truth within myself. We know that in our essence there are spheres that, according to their nature, are slaves and servants of the new man and must remain so. Romans chapter 6, verses 19 through 22. 
For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then, and the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Unfortunately, many saints are ruled not by the rational sphere of their new man, called to be the master of their essence, but their own feelings or the rational sphere of their soul, which are not called to and cannot contain in themselves the superior wisdom of God from above and discover themselves in the fear of the Lord. Scripture calls our new man a wise king only when he has grown into the full measure of the stature of Christ and has gained a wise heart in which he began to cooperate with one another, two great witnesses that stand before God of all the earth in the dignity of Thummim and Urim. The character of a wise king is called to discover itself in the properties of wisdom from above. The properties which in relation to one another have a unique balance, given that they are dissolved in one another and identify the truth of one another. As it is written, James chapter 3, verse 17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The soul by itself, even in its in the original Adam, never possessed and will never be able to possess the properties of unearthly wisdom. If Adam and Eve, being carnal people, had similar properties, then the ancient snake would never have been able to deceive them. Therefore, the carnal Adam, by virtue of his carnal nature, could not be the bearer of the properties related to the spiritual man in the face of the second Adam, the Lord from heaven. If the soul is created to be a servant of our spirit, then even having received the throne like Saul, it will have access only to the wisdom of the earth, carnal and demonic, which we could observe in Saul, when in a difficult time for him, he turned to demonic wisdom in the face of our sorceress. Therefore, if our wisdom comes from the collaboration of our renewed mind with the superior wisdom of God, then it will express itself in properties and characteristics of wisdom from above. If our wisdom is earthly, carnal, demonic, then we should not boast and lie on the truth. A soul that has not endured crucifixion with Christ can never have and collaborate with wisdom from above despite all its desire and use of religious experience. A soul that has not gone through death can never have or collaborate with wisdom from above. Wisdom from above can dwell only in the spirit of a person upon his fulfillment of three conditions. When, firstly, when the spirit of a person growing in faith comes to the full measure of the stature of Christ and is able to hear and distinguish in his spirit the, the, spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit from the spirit of seduction, 
very interesting condition here. How do we receive access to the wisdom that comes from heaven? First, we must have the ability to distinguish the voice of the Holy Spirit from the voice of seduction and from our spirit or from our thoughts. Secondly, when he acknowledges over himself the delegated authority of God and distinguish it from the authority of false apostles and prophets, it's a very important component, not just to be taught to distinguish the Holy Spirit from the spirit of seduction, but to distinguish true apostles from false apostles. And thirdly, when the new man, upon cooperation with his mind, with the renewed spirit of his mind, fulfills and follows the word that he has heard in the word of the person sent by God. So there is obedience to the word of God. Based on the revelations of Scripture, the delegated authority of God for man is the property of his spirit, which has come to the full measure of the stature of Christ in obedience to every human command and the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord. All these components cannot successfully cooperate with one another and live with one another. Then this means that we have not yet grown into the full measure of the stature of Christ and are not capable of cooperating with wisdom from above. Only through a wise king will all these components unite in absolute harmony and complete balance. If a person does not understand the voice of his spirit and cannot walk or cannot talk with it because he relies on the voice of his mind, the voice of his religious and life experience, his education, his dreams and visions, he will never achieve the desired harmony of these components. We should never forget that if our dreams and visions are not verified by the Word of God and do not receive confirmation both in our spirit and in the words of a person set before us by God in the face of our pastor, then this means that we are incorrectly cultivating our spirit. Upon the correct order and cultivation of our spirit, when we turn to the revelations of the Holy Spirit regarding any difficult questions, and we begin to think about them, harmonizing them with Scripture, then from our spirit, the correct answer will come to our mind, which we can test and check for the, real, the reliability of its source. According to Scripture, the Holy Spirit has prepared the opportunity of this cultivation of relations of man with God for all his children. He desires for us to reject in our essence a foolish king and allow a wise king to reign on the throne of our heart so that this wise king could find all that is unclean and release against us a cartwheel or a threshing wheel. Again, Proverbs 20, 26. A wise king sifts out the wicked and brings the cartwheel over them. A cartwheel is the weapon of sanctification, which includes the collaboration of Thumim and Urim in our spirit. And only those who enter through narrow gates can have this wheel. Only through having this cartwheel can we dispel the uncrucified nature of the soul from our body dispel, dispel the uncrucified nature. First we need to dispel 
and dispel the uncrucified nature of the soul from our body, which is closely related to the curse of the genetic code transmitted to us through the sinful life of our fathers. A wise king will release against the vain nature of a cartwheel and will dispel this vain nature from our body in order to cleanse it of all sin living in us. We should note that we are referring to not just the cleansing of an individual person, but the cleansing of the whole chosen remnant of God. Take a look. God is going to cleanse His chosen remnant through this kind of threshing wheel or this cartwheel. God must. God will do this within the church. Only the confession of the faith of God abiding in our hearts becomes a cartwheel capable of dispelling all wickedness from our nature in order to prepare our bodies for the erection of the power of life in them. And therefore, if we have formed our lips into a cartwheel, and confess with our lips the faith of God abiding in our hearts, then this is a sign of brotherly love in which we showed our neighbors the love of God, agape. This unique part of demonstration of brotherly love is to have a cartwheel in our lips, and this can be done only when we have a wise king a renewed thinking, renewed by the spirit of a mind that takes these words and turns them against the enemy that is within us and the enemy that is found within the church that have closed themselves in cedars and think that they are kings because the truth of justification was incorrectly accepted. This is a seed that must be placed into circulation. We will thank God for that word that we have heard and we shall pray. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for this great privilege to be found in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us today to hear your commandments, to hear your words, and to excite that true meaning that is in our heart and so that our proclamations can become this threshing wheel that is going to first be turned against the enemies that are found in the limits of our essence those enemies that try to penetrate into our essence and those enemies that fill the church of God across the, across the earth we ask you today to allow your saints to renew their thinking with the spirit of their mind so that their proclamations can become this great weapon with which you will use in order to conduct full victory we ask you to continue to shake our earth through your word those truths that will be able to protrude this foolish king any kind of maidservant that's tried to take up the position of her mistress. We ask you today so that we have no cooperation of our spirit 
with a soul that has not gone through death, so that that soul that has not gone through death and those spheres that have not gone through death, so that they are not used by us in service to God and in search for your countenance. Because, Lord, you will not tolerate this kind of congregation. And we ask you, Lord, to continue to protrude through your word our body so that all these substances can go through death. We thank you, Lord, for that word that we hear. By this word, Lord, we renew our thinking and we continue to proclaim it affirm your commandments. We thank you that you have kept our foot from stumbling because we have entered into our inheritance. We have entered into the boundaries. We have entered into those boundaries in which there is no stumbling. We, Lord, in these boundaries, we observe a mutual covenant with you in which you made a covenant and gave us decree for us to circumcise our hearts and that organ of stumbling that we have within us so that it can be circumcised during the time of our circumcision of our heart. Therefore, Lord, you have cleansed us, cleansed us from all resentment, all resentment in our heart. We have, we do not have this organ of stumbling in our heart. We do not have this organ of stumbling and we are freed from resentment. We are freed from suspicion, from this ulcer, from this plague. Whoever does not yet have us, we ask for this resentment to be circumcised. Allow us, Lord, to come to the full measure of the statue of Christ to keep ourselves from stumbling. We, Lord, have made the decision to leave infancy and having left infancy to feed from your solid food. And we, Lord, cast out from the limits of our essence the bondwoman and her son so that we we refuse, Lord. We refuse to use Ishmael in service. We refuse, Lord, and we cast him out. We do not use the words of God in order to hurt one another, in order to bring pain to one another. We use the word of God to heal one another. And in this, Lord, to demonstrate the love of God and the church of God so that you can allow us to go from the state of death into the state of eternal life. We thank you, Lord, for that word that we have heard. We thank you, Father, and we ask you, may our pastor be given the revelation from above, so that wisdom, that superior wisdom that comes from above, can be given to us and presented to us in the format of the preached word. We ask you, Lord, may our pastor be given the superior wisdom coming from above so that it can be presented in the format of the preached words, that this wisdom can find its place in our heart, in our thoughts, and in our proclamations. We thank you, Lord, and we truly have known that you answer your Holy One from your holy heavens, and you save him. We thank you for this place, for this church, for all saints, and we ask you, Lord, that upon this place the enemy can be destroyed, and we today turn this threshing wheel, the proclamation of our heart, against all illnesses, premature death, against all depression, against all destruction, against any kind of demonic dependencies, any kind of lusts, covetousness, misunderstanding, ignorance. We turn this threshing wheel, and we 
do not tolerate any of our enemies. And we ask you, Lord, for this threshing wheel today to also be turned against all of those who have enclosed themselves in cedar and think that they are kings. But at the same time, they did not give the correct judgment to, to the cause of the poor and needy, but they condemn him, they judge him. Deliver your inheritance, O Lord, from these people. Fill your church, Lord. Fill your church with those who could protect within themselves first their innermost man and also to protect within the church the poor and the needy who are in need of your protection. Give us these in the church and fill your church with these kind of people. And may the Lord fill us with your atmosphere of brotherly love. Our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And let us conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.